We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Ross Feingold. I'm joined in the studio tonight by two first-time guests on Taiwan This Week, Stephen Tan, president of the Cross Strait Policy Association. Welcome to ICRT, Stephen. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, thank you, Ross. And Wayne Chen, a former candidate for the Taipei City Council. Good evening, Wayne. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, Ross. As today is the final working day of June and the end of the first half of this year, tonight we'll be discussing this year's major news stories in Taiwan domestic politics, foreign relations, cross-strait relations, the economy, and Taiwan society in general. And we'll begin with Taiwan's domestic politics. Wayne, since you ran for office as a KMT candidate for city council in Taipei earlier this year, what do you think was the major domestic news uh, political story this year? Well, I think if you live in Taipei City, uh, you'll see a lot of protests going around, uh, whether it's in the uh, where uh, the president uh, presidential palace or by the legislative yuan uh, offices over there. Um, I think the most important news is I think it got passed yesterday. Uh, they're going to retract the 18% interest rate. Uh, along with uh, adjustment uh, of retirement funds for all uh, military, civil, civil, civil servants, uh, including teachers, police, firefighters, and I think um, that's one of the major news. Um, there's uh, a lot of controversy surrounding it, and uh, I think uh, it hurts uh, our our government when it retracts on promises it made 20 to 30 years ago, uh, when salary is quite low and in a, providing 18 percent uh, interest rate to these people when once they retire, is one of the only ways they can still make a living once once you know, uh, pretty much they they're in retirement. So, Stephen, what do you think about that? Is that uh, that was clearly a political decision, and in fact, President Tsai, when she campaigned for office made this uh, pension reform for military and other public servants an important part of her policy platform. So clearly this was a political decision to proceed. And Wayne has correctly identified it as a major political news story. What do you think? Well, this is definitely going to cost some political capital of Thai administration. As a matter of fact, you correctly just pointed out that this has been on the agenda even before President Thai got elected. Now, uh, throughout the, for the past two years, it's been on and off, if being very persist- persistently and consistently putting through the agenda. And just a few weeks ago, you know, from the legislation point of view, it's all wrapped up. And now it's in the face of the administrative appeals and even leading to uh, on the consti- uh, constitutional ground for the grand, grand justice review. Now, politically, of course, uh, it, it, as I just mentioned, it, it will cost some political capital of the current administration knowingly. And then now a chapter has been closed. Now it's an election season. So I, I guess this very controversial, but uh, but, but but highly uh, uh, you know demanded uh, reform or pension reform, you know, have been you know put it underway. And then now with that now with that see the reaction of the general public as reflected in the upcoming elections. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that she uh, alluded. In, in her public announcement following the passage of the law uh, or public remarks, that uh, she got it done. And the previous administration of Myung Joe had talked about this, but didn't get it done. And she seemed to be uh, taking a bit of a victory lap, which 
maybe she's entitled to. Uh, but I'll, I'll pose this question to both of you. Why did it take two years, given that her party has a very large majority in the legislative UN? So if they had prioritized this issue, and I, I understand, I'm not disputing that it's very complex, but why did it take two years to pass this, given how, how large their le- their legislative majority is? Well, I guess, I guess first of all, it is obviously uh, much harder than you previously anticipated. And number two, uh, sometimes you have to go with the flows. Sometimes you have to speed up. You have to slow down. You have to try to pace it. So two year is relatively long and longer than previously expected, I would say. But to close up before, you know, uh, July and, you know, like four or five months before the general election, I, I think will still be within the original sort of game plan, I would say. And, and um, you know, uh, the original plan, if I understand correctly, has always been that let's get it done, you know, let's do the reform, let's complete this, uh, you know, pension fund reform at least four or five months or half a year before the general election or the midterm election. Speaking of the impact, Wayne, on the election, in the district that you were seeking a seat, Zhongzheng, obviously a lot of current yes. and retired government Absolutely. officials live there. Is is this issue really going to hurt the DPP, uh, both in the upcoming local elections, as well as about 13 months later in the presidential and well, legislative UN election? In my opinion, I think DPP is politi- politicizing many issues. And uh, I think from the beginning, DPP never considered... Um, as far as voting base wise, uh, you know, military civil servants as part of their voting base. So they use this opportunity to really crush down on, you could say, traditional KMT supporters. And if you look at national budget wise, I mean, total, uh, annual budget budgeting for these retirement folks are, it's only 8%. Um, and again, uh, you're talking about uh, fiscal responsibility. I think 8% is not that bad. Number two, I think you also hit a moral moral dilemma where, again, you promised somebody 30 years ago and they sacrificed for the country for 30 years and now you're going to take their pension plans away. I think that's, that's wrong. Second, you have another issue. Uh, as far as teachers, for example, you have a lot of up-and-coming young teachers that are trying to seek employment. Uh, and now with this pension plan, gone, how can you incentivize uh, the current teachers to retire? Um, so I think uh, I think Tsai Ing-wen should really think this through. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the law has been changed and, you know, they're going to proceed and we can only hope that uh, in the future uh, we could change the law back. Stephen, let's uh, move on to your top domestic political story of the first half of 2018. Well, uh, I would agree with Wynn, actually, that the, the pension fund reform will be, you know, if you look at this first half of 2018, that, that will, I will also list it as a top, you know, domestic political issue here. Uh, but but I, I would also uh, like to take a look at some other, you know, related <clears throat> ramifications and then to take it as a, you know, from the perspective of a pre-election season, you know, because everything is in, interrelated and will, will trigger um, you know the the outcome or the prospect of the election, the upcoming election. You see, you see the most recent you know episodes of various different things here and there that leads to the um, nominations and the elections uh, for in 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 the next couple of months, particularly the new Taipei city mayorship and also the Taipei city mayorship. Yeah, that that was the story that I was going to identify as the top uh, domestic political right. story, which 
uh, I was going to focus on Taipei City and the mm. decision by the DPP to run its own candidate as opposed to cooperating with Koenja. And in, in my view, it's it's a bit similar to our discussion about the pension reform. Why did the DPP wait so long to make a decision that they will field their own candidate? So, Stephen, do you have a view on, on why, why didn't they decide early? I mean, they knew about this election four right. years ago. So why did they wait until the most recent few months to say, you know what, we're going to have our own candidate. We're not going to cooperate with Koba and Joe again. What, what, why the delay? I, I, well, first of all, I think DPP had to make its own nomination to nominate his own uh, candidates for the Taipei city mayor. If you look at this whole overall picture, the ruling party of this nation, you know, if it if it could not or would not nominate its own candidate to run the capital of this country, it doesn't make sense at all. Um, but but I would say it's a close call. It, it, it's it, it was fifty fifty. It could go either way. So that pretty much explained, you know, where answer your questions like why, you know, it needed to wait for so long. From what I can see, um, it's it's the it's the fundamental uh, differences in the core value system of how to become, how to run an office or how to uh, be uh, a, a politician uh, in Taiwan at, at, at this age. I, I think that fundamental difference was not that obvious or had not been that obvious until uh, when when Mayor Cook became pr- uh, mayor of this of the city, and then here and there, gradually, uh, the grassroots of the DPP supporters realized that this could no longer be the case where uh, the DPP will continue as as it did four years ago to support Mayor Ke. Um and then that 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 triggered up to the you know the the the. the uh, decision makers of the DPP, and and I think uh, uh, you know from the high side that decision seemed to be unavoidable. But then uh, again, a lot of people, in, including myself, would would wish that the decision could have come earlier. But then it is what it is. We'll we'll see uh, we'll see the outcome. Before we move on from this topic, Wayne, I can't resist. I, mm-hmm. I won't put you on the spot and make you give us a prediction, but. What does your party's candidate have to do to win the mayor election, given that it's now a three-way field with a DPP candidate and the incumbent mayor? So what does Ding Shou Zhong need to do to win the election? You know what? I think key voters, uh, I believe the Pan Blue base supporters will all uh, support KMT, uh, including its uh, nominee, uh, Ding Zhong. But I think uh, his biggest challenge, and I think our big, our party's biggest challenge, is to win middle voters, uh, win young people. And I think there's a disconnect right now that our party is facing we're seen uh, as far as image wise as an old grand party um, uh, you could say uh, you know cronyism whatnot so we need to change that image in order to win young voters now uh, back to uh, the earlier topic about why uh, DPP or the pan green uh, pushed out their own nominee I think uh, and this is my own uh, conversation with uh, the DPP candidates that were running during my primary uh, they know uh, on the grassroots level, they're going to have a big time. They're going to have a tough time running this time. And I predict DPP is going to lose three to four seats overall in Taipei City election, uh, City Council election. So because Tsai Ing-wen's done a, I don't want to say it a horrible job. I think her, her goals were quite ambitious. It, she's losing a lot of middle voters. And now they're forced to go back to their deep pan green who wants their own candidate. I think they're forced to do that. And I actually think that eventually, um, if you look at the polls, pan green supporters actually support, uh, Cohen's, uh, uh, you know, 
more than uh, you know nominee uh, Yao. So. Okay, moving on to foreign relations. Um, as the American in the group, I'll start off by saying that the biggest story was not the dedication of the new American Institute in Taiwan building a few weeks ago, which did attract a lot of international media coverage, but rather the successes and shortcomings of another important aspect of the Thai government's foreign policy, the southbound policy. There's definitely been an increase in business and cultural exchanges with the southbound countries, but I'll say that there are still some challenges, and we see that with limitations such as the willingness or lack thereof of ASEAN countries to support Taiwan's participation in the World Health Assembly. So, Stephen, success or failure, or what is the status of the southbound policy well, for 2018? It's it's hard to uh, it's hard to just label this a success or failure. I would say that uh, uh, it has a, a lot more improvements. It's underway. It's been doing for the past two years. There are there have been some constraints and limitations. The uh, the administration's efforts of you know doing the cultural and educational and trade and investment exchanges, you know, have I would say have some limits. A lot of a lot of a lot of which need to be uh, committed by the private sectors, uh, which they do. Uh, but then again, as you just pointed out, the ASEAN countries, you know, have also under severe political pressures from China uh, in receiving uh, the trade and investment and cultural and educational exchanges where, where it, it had been labeled uh, as, as a part of the or inconsistent with the southbound policy. So I would say that in short that it's underway. It has some challenges and obstacles to overcome. I wouldn't necessarily say that, say that it's a failure or it's a success. But then let's see uh, how the current administration can even Improve the enforcement of the southbound, southbound policy in the days to come. How about you, Wayne? What's your top foreign policy story for the first half of 2018? Well, I think, uh, you know, we lost another uh, f- uh, full diplomatic relations with uh, another country, I think particularly Panama. I think that was a, a major one who's had a relationship with us for, I believe, uh, over 80 or 90 years. Um, and I think, uh, unfortunately, and you know what? Uh, during Ma's administration, we also we also lost one as well. But it's it's very um, sad to see that in just two years of uh, uh, of being president, uh, Tsai Ing-wen lost four, four, four in a row. Uh, I think um, uh, now I'm not going to deny. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure coming from China. And uh, I think uh, our government needs to work a little bit harder on maintaining uh, the current, I think, I believe, 18 countries we have left and uh, hopefully uh, establish new ties. And, and I encourage the Thai government to continue to do that. Um, we're still working for the same country and uh, with, with the same goals. Um, now, regarding the, the southbound policy, I don't want to say it's a failure. Um, I think, again, very ambitious, but uh, we must not, uh, you know, we, it must not overshadow the economic ties between Taiwan and China. Uh, you cannot ignore that. Now, I, I agree with us diversifying our economy so we're not too over-reliant on China. But again, um, <clears throat> what I see on the news and what I hear is the South Southbound policy is just sending Taiwanese kids uh, to Southeast nations to work, um, you know, whether it's on farms or whatnot. Uh, what we need, what our kids need to learn is, you know, technology uh, from modern countries and not countries that are less, less developed than Taiwan. That's uh, my opinion. 
Well, I would just have to uh, echo something, uh, echo yeah. something with Wayne just say, and also uh, have some slightly different view on this. Uh, what, what he said on the southbound policy, the one that I like, I like to uh, echo Wayne is that you know, in, in terms of cutting the diplomatic tie, it's, it's really we're a united Taiwan. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's all about China. If if China, uh, you know, wants to do whatever it, it, it could in terms of cutting the diplomatic ties with Taiwan, you know, it could do that easily with the, with the current power of China. If, if it if China continues to you know deploy that zero sum game, and it's going to be a, a deteriorating a cross trade relationship, it's going to cause a, a lot of damages not just to Taiwan or on Taiwan, but in terms of the cross trade relationship where its reputation you know and in, 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 in the in the region or in the whole world. So, but but then again, I think we're a united Taiwan, and now uh, it doesn't matter your political uh, view. Then I think uh, Taiwanese people are are not particularly happy. With what China's been doing in terms of you know cutting off the relations, diplomatic ties uh, of uh, of Taiwan with other countries, on the cell bound, I think that the 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 platform and the agenda goes a little bit beyond just sending the kids to the Southeast Asian to work. I think it, it goes on from the market's perspective. You you have a market with the, with a size that's two third of that of China or that of India. It's just that how you gonna get into that. I I think previously it was more investment In, investment being the outbound investment to Taiwanese businessmen setting up the factories, you know, employing some people, you know, doing some exports. But now it could be two ways. It could be tripartite, it could be trade, and it could be also some other things, including the cultural and education exchanges. We probably don't have enough time to go into uh, that subject, but I I think it's a big subject that we could talk about that, you know, maybe in a different occasion. And was there uh, other foreign policy stories that you you were looking at this uh, first half of the year, Stephen, besides southbound and diplomatic relations? I would say uh, I would say Taiwan U.S. relationship. I, it's a it's a big subject. Uh, obviously, there are having some progress. Uh, Taiwan Travel Act and some other, as you can see, the most recent uh, encouraging development. You know, um, that is since the beginning of this year. Um, <clears throat> obviously, for for reasons. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, the lingering has always been the relationship ups and downs between U.S. and, and China. Uh, and how- are, are, Sorry, Steve, are, are you suspecting that America's intentions are not just based on a desire to support Taiwan, that it's using Taiwan instead as a pawn in its relationship with China? I'm, I'm just shocked to hear this. Well, I think it's, I think it's in between. I think it's <clears throat> in between. You're referring to, you didn't say that, but you're more referring to whether U.S. play a Taiwan car. I, I, I think nobody, nobody would like to be labeled as... You you know, being a car to, to play around. But then again, I mean, you know, in international relationship, any country has a strategy, has a way to, uh, you know, deploy its resources, have to limit or strengthen relationship or, you know, get into relationship better. I think politically at, at the Taiwan-China, the U.S. relationship, you know, it's, it's in that in that setting. Economically, that's a different story. You know, Taiwan has a lot of pressure from the U.S. You know, you know, you, you see those beef and pork issue, you know, some other trade-related issues at the face of the uh, the TPP negotiation a couple of years ago, but now it's still going on. Then the Taiwan uh, wishes to enter into the, uh, the, the, the you know, continue the TIFA with the U.S. and they having the uh, bilateral trade uh, agreement with the U.S. But but underlying issues are all the trade and uh, investment-related issues and how you open up your own markets. And that takes a lot of dialogue within Taiwan. 
in terms how people react to that. Beef or trade or otherwise, and how the legislators and other politicians, the current administrations and opposition parties, gonna gonna present that and gonna interact with its people on the various trade relations,、uh, trade related issues that's reflected in the Taiwan-U.S. economic relationship. And since both of you mentioned the role of China in Taiwan's foreign relations, let's move on to the biggest story for 2018 so far with regard to cross-strait relations. Stephen, you're the president of the Cross-Strait Policy Association, so let's start with you. What was the biggest cross-strait relations story of the first half of 2018? Well, how much time you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I guess the, the the biggest issue here, as I can see, is that how Taiwan bears、uh, with China as a hostile regime to the current administration and its people. I, th- I think that's a big overall、uh, question that we all need to think hard on.、Uh, to start with, I think、uh, China is hostile in its face, and how China say, "Well, you know, why don't you say, why don't you admit one China, and why don't you,、uh, you know, be on board with 92 consensus, which is really one China, and that China is is labeled and categorized as People's Republic of China repeatedly and very, very clearly." Now,、uh, people in Taiwan, how are we going to react and respond to that? I, I think that. That's that's a, a a trillion dollar question. That's a that's a big big biggest issue on Earth or in Taiwan that we have to handle. Now, people in Taiwan have different views on that, but I th- I think the views and the perspective of people in Taiwan to a certain extent, you know, reflect the current relationship, the current cross relationship or Taiwan's relationship with China. Wayne, the biggest China story of the year is China's hostility, as Stephen called it. You know what?、Um, You know, I, I'm going to be fair. Okay, is there any hostility? Yes, there is. And and but we got to understand why is there the hostility? Is you know again, echoing Steve's、uh, 92 consensus.、Uh, 92 consensus was actually agreed upon by both nations.、Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, with Tsai's regime, she refuses to acknowledge that agreement and、uh, is pushing more towards、uh, Taiwan independence. And、uh, granted. In my opinion, I think Taiwan is already an independent country. We're called the Republic of China. We have our own military. We're a democratic country. We have our own elected officials. So I think,、uh, I think we need to revisit this. Now, in 1992, when they come to the agreement, it was really about let's let future generations decide. Let's get to economy. Let's let both 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 sides make some money, and I think that's what people really want. Citizens really want is have, you know being able to maybe afford a house, you know, send their kids to college, and then you know have their next generation、uh, have a brighter future. But right now, in my opinion, that has all stopped. Now it's hostility on both sides, and I think I think if Tsai Ing-wen is just willing to just agree with 1992 consensus, then we can move on and back to business. Um, you know, I think I know we're going to talk about the economy later.、Uh, economy is not doing well、uh, in in you know in the last couple years. Just just a quick one on 92 consensus. I, I, I give me a few seconds to mention、mm-hmm. a little bit on that. I th- I think China, you know, over the years,、uh, at least for the past few years, have actually changed unilaterally. On the scope and the applicability and the definition of 92 consensus. Now, now, obviously, you know, it's it's part of China. It's under the One China Rule. It's one of the Republic,、uh, People's Republic of China. So 
basically it used the label as what well, 92 consensus to make people in Taiwan commit that Taiwan is part of China, which is People's Republic of China. So once you realize that nobody's going to be on board, but then you use this label uh, 92 consensus. So I think people are smart enough to figure that out that this is not the way it is. And I and also I echo Wayne on that. I think uh, you know in, when you mentioned the Taiwan independence, uh, I I don't I don't think the current DPP administration is for uh, Taiwan independence in any fashion. As a matter as a matter of fact, I agree with you when that the Taiwan is already an independent state. Mm-hmm. It's on on sovereignty, it's on people, it's on control, and on territory. It has all the sovereignty characteristics of sovereignty that's required, and it's an independent state. Well, Wayne, I know you just came back from an overseas trip. I was surprised you didn't identify the major story as the airline pressure to change oh. names and other <laughs> kind of little acts of hostility that, that China keeps doing towards Taiwan. You know, no, I actually, I, I noticed that. Uh, I actually posted on my uh, on my Facebook uh, fan page because uh, I was trying to book tickets on Canadian Airline, and uh, I noticed that you know we were now part of uh, the territory of China. Um, again, uh, I know the government uh, has uh, wants people to boycott the airline, but you know, you know, Russ, you lived in Taiwan for a while. You know, my people, my people are frugal. You know, my people for the government can say all they want, but when it comes down to their pockets, they're going to go with the cheapest tickets. So, again, I don't think um, cross rate, cross straight or not, I think you have a small group of very deep green supporters. Uh, you're absolutely right. Taiwan is an independent country, but I think, the, you know, they want what their their real goal is to get rid of ROC's name. And maybe our, you know, color of our flags. And know. that brings yeah. us to the story I think is the the top cross straight news of the first half of this year, which is Xi Jinping and uh-huh. his decision to uh, ask the uh, relevant officials to change the constitution so mm-hmm. that he could serve an unlimited number of terms. And the reason why I bring this one up is uh, it basically tells not just Taiwan and the United States, uh, other stakeholders, this is the person they're going to be dealing with for years to come. So you talk about how these issues might play out over time, leaving some of them for future generations. Xi Jinping might still be in charge for the next generation. Uh, so, Stephen, <laughs> yeah. uh, is it the man we're going to have to deal with for, for uh, unlimited t- number of years to come? I wouldn't say unlimited years of time, but it's, uh, it's obviously much longer than people fall five years ago when Xi Jinping was in power in 2012 or 13. Um, now we, we're going to have to bear uh, with we're, we're work on uh, Xi Jinping's administration unavoidably. Uh, then um, we'll see what happens. It, it's probably take, I, I agree, it will take at least a good 10, if not 15 more years uh, under uh, uh, Xi Jinping's dictatorship in China. And with that, we'll move on to the economy. Wayne. You mentioned the economy and, and the desire of younger people in Taiwan mm-hmm. to prosper the way maybe earlier generations did. So what was the biggest economic news in Taiwan in the first half of the year? I think, uh, in my opinion, it's just uh, economic news is just our, our economy is not doing well at all. Um, but there's positive at, GDP growth. No? I, okay, see, that's what everybody says, right? I mean, oh, yeah, average salary went up. But, I mean, you don't need to look at the numbers to feel it. Okay, I have five friends that came from the U.S. Uh, or EU, that came to Taipei, invested in Taipei in restaurants, and five of them recently packed up their bags and left. Why? Because people are not doing well. Yeah, the big companies are doing well, but, but never, don't forget, Taiwan has 1.4 million small and medium enterprises. We're built. We're a country built of small and medium enterprises, and unfortunately, the government, now, I'm going to say too, 
even during Ma Ying-jeou's uh, period, I don't think the government has a clear, solid plan on industrial policy. I mean, if you, uh, I remember reading Chalmers Johnson's book uh, on J- uh, the Japanese industrial policy with MIDI uh, in the post-World War era. I mean, they had plan every 10 years, every decade, they had a plan of industrial policy moving from, you know, textile to petrochemical uh, to, uh, you know, uh, automotive. And I think Taiwan had that in the past. But unfortunately, we've lost our way. I think our last economic uh, industrial policy was towards semiconductors, which, yes, we did take a lot of taxpayers' money to support TSMC. And but we also created the Shinju uh, Scientific Park, which, you know, resulted in thousands and thousands of jobs. So um, the government clearly lacks direction on industrial policy and people are leaving this island. Um, you know, I'm in the education business, so I talk to a lot of parents. Most parents, number one, do not have any faith uh, left in our education system, uh, which I know is not part of our discussion today. And number two, they don't have any faith in our future economy. So if you look at when a country's, um, I don't want to say elite, but the more when the educated people in a country lack faith and are leaving, what are we left with? I think that's the main question. What are we going to be left with uh, 10, 20 years from now? Stephen, is that a fair observation? The first half of 2018, there's a lack of clear economic policy vision coming from the government. Well, uh, I think there there have been uh, econ policies, but it's it's how to enforce it, you know, whether it's effective. I would say that the biggest um, econ issue here is how are you going to deal with this um, uh, wealth disparity and income disparity and then the the huge generation gap you know in, in the new economy and it, it, it it's it's happening across the border and not just Taiwan but we have a severe issue of concern here and 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 also uh, you know on top of that is that how we in Taiwan, can continue to develop our own econ- economy and economic growth with or without China. Uh, and, and I think that's a challenging task for anybody uh, running an office or running this country uh, politically. And and I would I would say that I echo wins in saying that, you know, any administration, including previously President Ma, uh, for lack of a clear policy to implement or a lack of enough um, policy tours, because this is a free economy. Sometimes people agree with betting on the government's uh, industrial policies. And some people were are taking more of a less fair approach by saying that okay, thank you very much. You just make your you know uh, transparent uh, government rules and regulations, and then you tax what you tax, but don't bother bother me that much. I have my own game plan. So people have different view in that. I I think lack of uh, uh, policy tools, and and then we have a hostile neighbor across the street, plus the huge wealth. Uh, gap and the income gap as well as the generations gap and disparity will, will be uh, the biggest challenge, not just for the first half of 2018, or also for the second half or for the next few years. And uh, Stephen, you talked to a lot of corporate clients. Uh, what was their economic concerns in the first half of 2018? Well, you mean in Taiwan, right? Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, it's lack of, um, you know, uh, lack of momentum for growth. 
uh, low wages, low GDP growth, uh, not enough uh, impressive numbers on trade, and also on the infrastructure and the domestic consumptions. They but all the added up to that. The government better. last year didn't they pass a budget for very large infrastructure spending? Yeah, that that, that is by. that is something that we have to look it's very closely. At. You say, look, it's called the forward looking. Yeah, we have to we <laughs> have, to, have to look very closely. At. Wayne, you're shaking your head. No, I'm shaking my head right here. Uh, look, um, I I'm in the tech industry, so I do talk to a lot of different um, <clears throat> uh, different experienced uh, tech people, and some of them own public traded companies. Um, you know, we recently we had a conversation. If you look at Japan. Right, they run in a kiretsu society where uh, the banks and the governments behind them. I uh, look at South Korea; they have chabo. Uh, if you look at Samsung, which I think uh, represent around thirty percent of their GDP, again, if you look at Taiwan, we don't have that. Uh, we have one point four million small and medium enterprises and couple big large corporations. So, I mean, if you look at Samsung versus HTC, if you just look simply look at this, Samsung has the economic power of South Korea, HTC. It's just Wang Shuhong by herself and maybe some of Wang's family. So um, now when you talk about pushing a product abroad, uh, why do you think most Taiwanese brands and products are sold to underdeveloped countries? Uh, why? Because, you know, they care about that 10 to $20 difference. But when you sell products to developed countries such as United States uh, or EU, they care about the brand. And to market your brand, we need to, number one, understand their culture, understand the channel, and also have enough government support to throw money at it. You know, I just ran a campaign. You know what? A campaign is all about throwing money. You need to market yourself as a product to, you know, in my district, around uh, 390,000 people. You know, so it's all about spending money. So I think government, instead of this massive infrastructure project that, you know, in my opinion, you know, you know, I, I on parts of it I do agree with it. On other parts, I think you're building uh, uh, railways to, you know, the middle of nowhere. Okay, I think instead of that, I think we need to take that money because um, that money is a form of debt. Uh, we need to, you know, since we're borrowing it from our from our future generation, we need to spend on it and use it to help our small to medium enterprises and even some of our larger corporations to gain market share. You know, abroad, mm-hmm. I think that would be a better economic policy. Hey, we've talked a lot about policy or lack thereof in, in the first half of 2018, but uh, I'll throw this over to Stephen. There is a clear, at least as I understand it, industrial policy. It's called the five plus two. Well, originally it was five, then I guess two got added and it became five plus two. And admittedly, uh, sometimes it's hard to understand what are the constituent parts of the policy. And I've seen the government has a lot of very impressive looking presentations with a lot of different colors and boxes about what the five plus do. But but implementation, how's, how, how's it going in 2018? Well, I, I think there... And does it, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but does it address the concerns that Wayne is identifying as well? I think well? they're having some challenges. Uh, they all come from different aspects. Green energy, just to name a few, uh, you know, national defense infrastructures, and then the sort of mirror image in the Silicon Valley by, you know, it's more on the venture capital and investments. I wouldn't say it's easy. I wouldn't say it's straightforward. I wouldn't even categorize as a pure success or straightforward success. I think the underlying um, the rationale for creating this, you know, five plus two or five or industrial policy or policies, you know, uh, you know are really to create more jobs and then to um, uh, get, get, get higher wages, by government initiating some of the some of the programs, so as to you know to pump up the economy or the GDP, um, 
two years have passed. People have been tracing and monitoring and tracking the developments. And I, I, I would say that it has a long way to go, and I think it's still on the, on the way to go. But, but again, I'm not myself a big fan of the creating and promoting the industrial policies. I think creating jobs, having the transparency, you know, making sure that people do what they do, people don't do what they're not supposed to do. You have a good education system and tax systems. That's what I think that the government should do in, in, in a, 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 you know, a, a right and popular administration should and could do. But then it remains to, to be seen as to the effectiveness um, of those five plus two in the remainder term of the Thai's first um, you know, term for, for the next two years. Well, Stephen, you just mentioned Silicon Valley. And earlier, Wayne, you, you mentioned semiconductors. So I'll give you my top economic story of the first half of 2018, and that is the retirement of TSMC's Morris Zhang, who is uh, obviously a, a not just a leader, but somebody who helped create mm-hmm. this industry, this business Absolutely. model right. for, for Taiwan, and has right. been heavily involved for uh, close to 40 years in the development of Taiwan's, not just the semiconductor industry, but uh, Wayne, as you were mentioning, the other aspects of the IT ecosystem mm-hmm. that, yep. that do exist here. So, Stephen, I'll start with you. Uh, his departure from TSMC, what does it mean, not just for a company which makes up a, such a large part of the market cap of, of the stock exchange, Change, uh, but uh, what does it mean for Taiwan's economy in general to to see someone this important leave the scene? I would say that uh, this gentleman, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Morris Chan, uh, he's a thinker, he's a philosopher. He's not just a businessman, but he, he is really a philosopher. When when he decided to retire, which he did earlier this year, I think a lot of things have been you know planned for uh, a succession plan, the overall strategy of TSMC, how you continue to foster the business as the uh, semiconductor foundry business. So I I think it has all been lined up and planned for. So um, I, I I don't think it will have a tremendous. Negative negative impact on TSMC as a company uh, or the semiconductor foundry as a business or a semiconductor, you know, as, as an overall industry or Taiwan economy. But I would have to say that uh, Dr. Chen has set up a fabulous example of how to do the best corporate uh, corporate governance on earth, how to come up with a succession plan, and how to build up a corporate strategy, how to implement it, and, and how to move on into the next generation or next decades of his business and also of his industry. Wayne, you, you talk a lot with younger entrepreneurs. Yeah. Are they thinking about Morris Zhang? Is, is he on their radar screen as uh, somebody who is <clears throat> inspirational, or is he already considered an earlier generation no, I, business leader in Taiwan? I, to me, he's a He's an inspirational figure. Him and uh, along with uh, Terry Guo from Honghai, um, or some may say Foxconn. I think they're all iconic figures uh, as far as uh, in, the, in the corporate world uh, of Taiwan. Um, I actually, I, I, I echo Steve. I, I think um, you know Dr. Morris Chain uh, is going to uh, TSMC is going to be just fine uh, with him leaving. Um, uh, remember, he left once and came back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that, in fact, yeah. uh, that's not the only IT company in yeah. Taiwan that has had that issue where leaders, founders have yeah. departed, Acer being an example. That's right. Yes. And they had to yes. come back. Yeah. And it sounds like you're saying TSMC doesn't have that problem. Well, they no. have a succession plan. See, I, I think this is also, it also has to do with the Taiwanese culture. Uh, generally, uh, if you look at the difference between Taiwan and, and Taiwanese company and Western companies, our stockholders put a lot of emphasis on the leader. 
the main guy. You know what I'm saying? But never forget, uh, when you're the leader, you have a massive team uh, with good people around you. And I think that, you know, when you build a business, uh, somebody that iconic, I believe that not only do you want your business to be successful, but when you leave, you know, 10, 20 years or after, you know, that, that, that later on, people can look at this business and say, you left it in, you know, with good hands and not the business crumbles after, after you're gone, you know, so... And Stephen, the outlook for the IT industry, we, we, we talked about TSMC itself, but what about the entire ecosystem of the IT industry with the departure of Morris John? Well, I would say that uh, the T- well, TSMC or anyone in that, this is the only thing that it's not changed is being that it's ever changing. So I think the uh, the company or the industry uh, itself or per se would need to, you know, be the leader of that industry and uh, continue to <coughs> upgrade his uh, technology and also to work with. The top clients, I understand that, if I'm not mistaken, the top list clients, have been, the name of which have been ever-changing. So you, you, need, you need to constantly change. So I think the, you have the IT ecosystem, but that ecosystem itself is so dynamic that it's been changing every time with or without Morris being around. So it transcends one person. Yeah. 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 Okay. And... Uh, We'll move on to our final segment, which is to discuss major news in Taiwan society in general. Wayne, we'll start with you because you've talked a lot about younger people and their aspirations. We've talked a lot about economic issues, and obviously there's some crossover. But uh, what would you say in society in general? What was the biggest news of the first half of the year? You know what? I'm. I'm. You know, I think people might might be uh, offended. You know, if I bring this this topic up, um, this is regarding yeah the, <laughs> the recent Huasan incident where uh, yeah, yeah, that archery instructor uh, okay. uh, I think uh, murdered uh, the you know that that lady and uh, I think. Um, you know, I've been in Taiwan for the last nine years. You know, uh, for listeners who don't know my background, I grew up in Taiwan until I was fourteen. Left left Taiwan, educated in the states. So coming back to Taiwan, I I have a sense, and I feel it. And even talking to younger people, they they lack direction, they lack confidence. I mean, look at this guy, this this archery teacher. He got rejected by a girl, and he had to kill her. I mean, and, and this is and this is not just the, the the only one. I mean, in recent years, we've seen a lot of these cases happening, you know. And and I think that today's youth, in in my opinion, you know, and I know I know people are going to be offended when I say this. They lack they lack the confidence. They don't know how to be the man. Truth be told, and uh, with the recent political turmoil, whether it's blue or green, and the whole economic downturn, it's just youth in general, they have a negative aspect of their future. And I think um, now I'm not going to blame the government for it. I think it's just the overall environment. And so I think, you know, for all the male listeners, Taiwanese male out there, you know, let's be the man, all right? If you're going to get rejected by a girl, let's go for another girl, okay? Don't be, don't fear rejection, Oh, man up. Yeah, man up. Man up. Stephen, what was the biggest society news that you observed in the first half of 2018? Well, I would say that you look at the younger generations, you look at this. I've already pointed out earlier in this show that the the generations, the generation gap, the different, not just the different thinking Mm -hmm. or the empowerment or lack thereof of the younger generation and how they react and respond and to interact with different generations 
governance in the society.、Uh, I, I think、uh, as re- as reflected in the various different sad news, as including what Wayne just pointed out, the Huasan,、um, you know, homicide. I mean that that is just a reflection.、Mm-hmm. That that is societal biggest issues. What are the biggest issues of concern? The sense of security, the、yep. income disparity, and I just mentioned the lack of high paying jobs,、uh, the. Popularity or unpopularity of a political, particular political figures, such as Mayor Ke or some other politicians, and I think that that's all interrelated and mingle in a bit. I think the biggest disparity here in Taiwan or the gap is it's not blue and green or green or blue or Taiwan versus China. It's it's really generations. It's it's really how the older generations、uh, interact and live with the younger generations, and vice versa. How you treat and respect and understand and you know with with compassions of what the what different generations have been have you know have in mind and how they behave. What are the issues of concern and problems and all that? I I think this is something that not just for the first half of two thousand eighteen, something we have to live with and deal with in the next couple of good years. Oh, I I didn't plan this beforehand with you, Wayne, but、yeah. I actually also had thought of、um, the similar topic as、yeah. the, for society news.、Uh, this un- very unfortunate series of rather violent、yeah. uh, murders uh,、yeah. that, as you pointed out,、yeah. do do involve、uh, the perpetrator who's relatively young, people in、yes. their twenties、mm-hmm. and thirties. And there's been several cases just over the last few weeks. In fact, in preparing for the show, when it's Did some Google search and big society news. That, I mean, the things that came up、yep. most notably were these recent、uh, cases, and maybe it does go to the economy and some of the other concerns we were talking about. Stephen,、uh, though, we don't want to end it on a down note. Surely, there's something positive in society for the first half of 2018. Well, I, I would I would say that、um, you know the sports related events have always been you know something. For everybody to enjoy and, and excite、uh, the the uh, the uh, university events earlier this year in Taiwan, the World Cup. At, at this moment, as we speak, we're not the big、uh, you know football soccer country here in Taiwan, but people still get excited about them. I mean, athletic and sport events as such. In Taiwan or out of Taiwan, relating to Taiwan or without any relations to Taiwan, excite people and grew people together. And we actually, I think, we need more things like that. So when you talk about this, you know, various different infrastructures and event plannings, and I'm all for it. And I think there there should be more to come. Wayne,、uh, since you're a big basketball fan,、uh, and wasn't、uh, Jeremy Lin was just here in Taipei making a commencement speech at a university graduation?、Yeah. So, sport is that a happy story for the first half of 2018 in Taiwan?、Uh, yeah, I think I think we ended on a good note on on the sports part, and、uh, I hope、uh, Brother Lin、uh, he could recover. I hope he ha- he has recovered, and、I、look forward to Brooklyn Nets next year. Hope he has a, a better run.、Uh, you know, wish him the best of luck. Okay, and on that note, that's where we'll leave it this week here on Taiwan This Week. I've been joined in the studio today by Wayne Chen, a former KMT City Council candidate. Thank you again, Wayne. Thank you. And Stephen Tan, the president of the Cross Strait Policy Association. Good night, Stephen. All right, thank you. Thank you, Ross. Right. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Ross Feingold. 
Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.